0: Hello, this is Evan Schneider, and welcome to Let's Talk About, produced by the Pace Center for Civic Engagement at Princeton University. Let's Talk About is a series of interviews that engages Princeton University faculty and community partners at the intersection of their own work and the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's talk about education and the COVID-19 pandemic. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Klugman. Dr. Klugman is the director of the Princeton University Preparatory Program, known as PUP, A comprehensive college preparation initiative that supports low income, high achieving high school students from the Mercer County, New Jersey region. He has served in that role since 2004. Jason earned his doctorate in education, culture, and society at the University of Pennsylvania's Graduate School of Education, where he studied the process of becoming an urban teacher and taught courses in urban studies and the foundations of education. He is an occasional lecturer in Princeton's Department of Anthropology. From 2004 to 2017, he was also a program associate and lecturer in Princeton's Program in Teacher Preparation. A former social studies teacher at West Philadelphia High School, Dr. Klugman holds a bachelor's degree in political science from Johns Hopkins University and teacher certifications in secondary social studies in English. Hey, Jason, how are you today? I'm doing well, Evan. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for agreeing uh, to come on our show. Absolutely. My pleasure. So a lot of your research uh, focuses on college access and teaching and work through PUP. Um, What do you see as some of the biggest barriers to college access and what approach to intervention do you suggest?
1: That's a great place to start the conversation. So we see um, large disparities in the information that is available to students, depending on where they're coming from. So students whose parents went to college, who are living in middle-class and upper-middle-class neighborhoods and going to those schools have great guidance around the college admissions process. They have access to um, test prep and tutoring and sometimes uh, they their families will hire a private counselor to help them through the process. They'll take them on a road trip to see colleges and universities and really design the whole college admissions search process. Um, in in a family unit, as a family unit. And so for low-income students and for students who are the first in their family to aspire to go to college, most of those things are missing. Um, They're typically in schools that lack a lot of the resources around um, sharing information about the college admissions process, about opportunities. Um, They have fewer opportunities for test preparation. Uh, More often, we see that students from low-income backgrounds don't have the chance to go visit colleges or universities. And you know all of that put together makes the, makes the process really challenging. And it's challenging anyway. I mean, it's the, applying to college is a really stressful process. And so if you have a family that is working you through it, that's, that's wonderful. That also leads to its own amount of stress in terms of families guiding you instead of allowing you to, to, to take the process on for yourself. But then if you're doing it all by yourself and you don't have the encouragement from family members or from a teacher or a counselor, that makes it really, really hard. What we do with PUP, which is our our comprehensive college preparation program that Princeton runs uh, in collaboration with five local high schools in the Trenton-Princeton area, is we work with students starting at the end of their ninth grade year. We do a really comprehensive six and a half week summer institute for three years Um, where we do all sorts of academic engagement, so courses in writing, math, literature, art, science, we have a whole college prep track so the students can do a session uh, their first summer on personal development and think about what their interests are and what their personal strengths are and what their values are and that starts to lead into that conversation about college. The second summer of PUP, we do um, really targeted test preparation around the ACT, and that continues throughout junior year. And then we do college tours. We do the final summer of PUP includes a college admissions 101 class. And so that walks the students through the college admissions process. We, of course, bring parents in along the way and help make sure that they're aware of the whole range and variation of possibilities in terms of college. Uh, What we need, of course, from parents, you know, when we're looking at financial aid applications and uh, what the family can afford is really important. And so we work through all of that uh, in order to break down some of those barriers. Most of our families don't realize that there are some phenomenal colleges in the country that meet 100% of student financial need. And that's a huge, huge win. But that's a small percentage of colleges. So we we find ourselves in a really competitive space. Typically, it's only the top colleges, maybe some of the top one hundred small liberal arts and and national universities in in the country that meet one hundred percent or close to one hundred percent of student financial need. And then the rest of the schools, you know, it's a huge range of variation. So there are a lot of schools that um, have have gone. Um, to instant decision days, and uh, you know, really reducing the barriers. So they're they're not very competitive, or not very selective. So schools that meet that allow you know that admit a fifty to seventy five percent of students that apply, um, and of course open access institutions as well. Um, but most of those places don't have the kind of financial resources to make it possible for a low income or first generation college student to really. Uh, Be successful as an undergraduate. So we're working through it from all sides uh, of the problem The one other thing that I would say in terms of intervention is really I I guess there's a couple of spaces to start There's the intervention on the school side. So thinking about having more counselors available in um, school settings so that students can get information that is um, accurate and inspiring and supportive about the application process Uh, Some schools have intervened by saying, let's just apply to lots and lots of schools. So be really unstrategic and apply to hundred schools. And it's all about the admissions and get as many scholarships as you can. And actually you can't get more than the cost of attendance in scholarship funds every year. So when you hear about the student who got $4 million in scholarships, they can only go to one school. And so they can't actually use the $4 million. There's, There's, you know, it's only the cost of attendance. Granted cost of attendance at a top uh, expensive private institution is over three hundred thousand dollars for four years, so that you know there are some resources that we need, but we need to be strategic about that so on the school side, having having better counseling available, uh, more access to rigorous high school curriculum is important, um, more access to resources generally that's that's a larger k twelve education issue and then on the college side, um, I think colleges can can continue to work to partner with schools to help provide some of that support and service. And that's what I'm really proud of doing, being able to do at Princeton.
0: So if you, if there are people listening who would be interested in learning more about PUP, um, either, you know, younger, like junior high age kids or something, um, thinking about college access and, um, or, or a parent or something like that, is there website you would point them to and can you just like very briefly kind of maybe go through what your process is for selecting the people who go through your program sure sure our program is very local so that's the one thing I will say
1: you know Princeton University partners with five local school districts so Trenton Ewing Lawrence uh, one high school in Hamilton Nottingham High School and Princeton High School those are our core partners our website's really easy pup.princeton.edu so that's p-u-p-p and that has information about our program and our process there's also a really um uh highly uh, resourced and um, researched evaluation of pup and a logic model that folks can look at so Our logic model is published so that any community anywhere that wants to start a similar college access initiative can kind of take the lessons that we've learned Um, and we've made a lot of mistakes over the years so we've the the program's been around since 2001 and if we put that all together other communities can also start those kinds of programs there are also some great um, organizations that are national consortia of college access programs so the National College Access Network, NCAN, and their, their website is collegeaccess.org, I believe. And um, there's the national partnership for educational access. So both of those organizations are great clearing houses for programs in local communities that do work with students um, strategically and invest in those students in order to develop them um, and their college-owned potential.
0: But thank you for that clarification. But also, you know, I know that that your program is a, a really helpful and vital resource to folks in the area. So thank you for for providing that.
1: One, one other thing I'll say is that there are a number of local and regional college access networks that have put together information and created space for organizations within a particular region to get together and share best practices. So we have one that we helped co-found in the Triton area, the Triton College Access Network, that we're partnering with a number of organizations that do youth development and college access uh, work in the area. We try to make sure that we're not uh, getting each other's kids or having kids across multiple programs so that we're you know being really strategic about how we engage with our students but there are also networks across the country. So the National College Access Network has listings of regional groups like the Philadelphia College Prep Roundtable, the Southern California College Access Network, uh, the Minnesota College Access Network, those kinds of organizations that bring together uh, this information in a really good way. And some of the programs start in middle school, gear up programs that are funded by the federal government. There are talent search programs and upper bound programs. And then a lot of community-based organizations and foundations that run programs for young people to help them prepare for the entirety of the college admissions process.
0: So, um, you know, we are obviously seeing that COVID-19 is having a a pretty massive and profound impact on education across the country. Um, Parents are suddenly teachers. um, And I think they're all, a lot of parents are still sort of shocked by this reality. um absolutely and so from from closing schools to budget crises um there's just a lot of uncertainty so just wanted to ask you how do you predict um that this crisis will impact your work in the landscape of just college access in general
1: it's so hard to predict um over the next six months and the next year or so but there have been some really interesting outcomes already um there's, there's been a long movement toward test optional policies in the, in college admissions. And so I want to start there. So there's an organization um, called fair test that, um, advocates for test optional and really the elimination of standardized tests in the college admissions process. So one thing that's happened over the last few months is that the SAT and the ACT have had to cancel national testing dates for those two tests. And in response, A lot of colleges and universities have announced temporary and some permanent test optional policies. And it's been really interesting to see. So a lot of the top small liberal arts colleges have said they're going test optional either for a year or they're going to test, they're going to pilot it for two years or three years. Um, One prediction that I might make is that once colleges go to test optional, um, it's going to be really hard for them to walk back into testing required. And so that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, top tier schools, the top national universities have not gone test optional. And what they've said is, you know, look, typically students um, who are really gunning for top schools will take the tests multiple times. Um, so they'll, they'll prep for and take the, the SAT three or four times. They'll take the ACT three or four times. Uh, that, that costs a lot of money. We, we don't advocate for that. We, we're able, with our program, to support two or three testing rounds for our students, but we also want to be strategic and say, "Hey, if you if you achieved a certain score, um, then you don't have to test again." Like let's you know let's take the pressure off. And you know, a few months ago, that the ACT announced that they were going to do subject specific retesting. So the ACT is four subjects, and you get a composite score. And once you've done that once, say your science score, your math score. Was lower than you expected. Then you could retake just the math section um, at a future date, and then they'll send that score in to colleges. So, the SAT, um, which is run by the College Board, and the ACT are kind of scrambling to figure out, you know, summer testing, fall testing, uh, potentially at home testing, which I think is um, really suspect for all sorts of reasons. Um, and in reaction, colleges have said, "Look to the class of 2021." and potentially the classes of 2022, the high school classes, we, we are going to be test optional, and we're going to look at your grades, and your holistic, we're going to holistically review your application. Uh, and some colleges are saying, and we're going to look at this process as maybe a permanent solution to equity issues that exist within the testing environment already. So that's been really interesting. The other, the other big thing that's going to happen right now with, related to the college board is AP tests. So we have students across the country, millions of high school students who who are taking AP classes um, and have signed up for AP tests that traditionally happen in May. Those tests are traditionally three hours long and are given on a national timeline over two or three weeks. And what the College Board has done is they've shifted all of those three-hour tests to 45-minute tests taken online at home. for some folks, it's like, oh, great! You know, instead of a three-hour test, have a 45-minute test. Um, they've the College Board has also announced that they're, you know, cutting um, the curriculum that's going to be covered within those tests. But what they've also announced is that the tests themselves are going to be more essay-based. So there'll be one big question for uh, AP English, one or two big questions, and students will have a set amount of time to log into a test start working on that essay and then submit their answer. Um, and then the, the window will close for that. And I think for, for students in, in middle-income and upper-income families that have resources in terms of you know the kids have a nice bedroom, they have a nice workspace, a nice desk, good internet access, um, they've been engaged with their teachers throughout this time where everyone's been out of school, those students will probably do okay on those tests. But for, for low-income students, um, students in rural communities, students in urban communities, where they have um, more cramped living situations. Maybe they've, they're sharing a bedroom with a sibling or two or or with a member of their extended family. Maybe they're working, they're doing all their homework on their phone, on their bed. Uh, doing an AP test in that situation is gonna be incredibly challenging. And there's, there's a lot of talk about what happens with that test score and potential college credit that will be assigned or not in the process. So, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen with that. I think, I think colleges are gonna be stuck with trying to figure out what to do with a test score and assigning college credit. And they may, colleges might decide to do a placement test on top of the AP test, um, whether or not they accept credit from the AP score. So that's an area that we're really thinking about. There's also what to do with the GPA. So seniors and juniors, um, their, their semester right now, it's either their sixth or eighth semester of high school um, might, might go pass-fail, and how will that impact GPA? For a senior that's been admitted to college, will pass-fail impact their, their matriculation um, into college? So will colleges look at a final transcript and say, you know, you didn't finish out your senior year strong, so we're, we're, we're gonna rescind your, your admission? I don't think that that's gonna happen, but it, it could. Um, but for juniors and for sophomores that have um, you know a bunch of p's on their uh, for p for pass on their transcript how do we configure gpa and and look at that situation in the holistic review of college admissions is going to be a challenge for my for my colleagues in in the admissions side to really work through and i know that everyone's thinking about this everyone's trying to figure out um, and every day think we we learn something new about what's happening in schools um, and with stay-at-home orders and school closures, so I think college admissions deans are going to have a lot to work through um, and think about over the next couple of months and into next year's cycle. The other uh, crisis that you know we're going to be really worried about is, is budgets um, and, and finances, both on colleges. So colleges are seeing already some significant financial impact of students not being on campus so the colleges that refunded for room and board um, took a hit financially there Um, many colleges are are in um, challenging financial straits anyway so this just magnifies that a lot of colleges use their facilities in the summer to raise revenue by hosting academic programs sports camps and conferences and all of that income is going to be gone and You know, a place like Princeton is really, really fortunate because of the strength of our endowment and the commitment that the university has made to our students in the community. We're probably going to increase our financial aid budget to to acknowledge the impact on families that are coming to Princeton, sending students to Princeton, right? Um, Most colleges don't have that kind of resource. Some will be able to make commitments to students and keep the financial aid budgets where they are but many colleges are gonna struggle. And so that's another area where we might see um, colleges closing, colleges merging. Uh, we just don't know that that's gonna be a, a big area of impact. The, the last thing that I'll say, and um, I know this is kind of a long, long-winded answer to a big question, is that for programs that do, co- for folks that do college access, a lot of our work is in person, you know, with, in community with our scholars in our case um, with our teaching fellows with our staff and that's all been disrupted so just as schools have been disrupted and teachers are learning how to be teachers at home and manage home while they're managing Google classroom or zoom conversations or any number of new technology whether that's turning their bathroom into a dry erase board to do math on the on the marker board that that the the bathroom can be your um, the the shower can be a dry erase board in some in some showers uh, some of those um, shower fitters that actually actually work as bathroom fitters becomes a dry erase board um, how do we do all of that in in a space where we're typically in really close contact with with our students and um, how do we continue to nurture the communities that we have um, has been a conversation that all of us are having and. Um, some with just our own teams and some across these networks to try to share best practices in this moment.
0: yeah, well, you're right. that was a really complicated question, and you did um you know say a lot, but i I kind of get the feeling that it, we could go down rabbit holes in every single one of those answers, and um, we'll be thinking about this and the impacts of all of this on education for decades, really um. I agree. Like you said, you know, so many institutions are financially strapped going into this um, and may not may not survive independently um, on the backside. So it's I think we'll have some major, major ramifications and disruptions
1: just on the point of disruptions. I mean, for again, I mean, I I think what we're seeing is. the inequalities that are in our system are just being magnified in, in really crucial and critical ways. So, a, a family that has some resources, whether one of the parents is, is not working because they're 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 able to not work, right? And so there's there's uh, two parents in the home, and and a parent can manage um, education for their their children, um, and, and there's enough space and resources for education to continue. There won't be significant disruption, but for families that are um, that are low income, where both parents are working outside the home, where parents have lost jobs, so they're in the home, but there's all sorts of financial um, insecurity and food insecurity. That's going to be really, really challenging. Um, and it and it goes from pre-K all the way up, right? So um, a student, a, a family that relies on a preschool for their child to learn basic skills of reading and writing, and um, probably not writing, probably not reading at preschool, but, but basic um, skills and socialization, but and coming through kindergarten and first grade to, to suddenly become a kindergartner or, or first grade teacher or second grade teacher is incredibly challenging, um, while also managing everything else in the home. So we're going to see all sorts of impacts, I think, um, from that.
0: So you work closely with high school teachers, um, administrators, and students in the greater Trenton area, as you said. And um, so what are some challenges and strengths um, particular to that educational landscape, uh, both generally and in the face of this crisis? And then what do you see as Princeton's role in all of that? Sure. Well, I
1: think... We're seeing both in the the Trenton region and and across the country, we're seeing an extraordinary amount of creativity uh, among our teachers and school administrators to try to reach uh, and stay connected with their students and to make sure that what they're providing their students is um, as, let's call it, up to par as possible, but also recognizing with compassion the, the new reality that their students are facing, right? So that's the balance that we have to create and um all sorts of the challenges around access to technology are we doing homework on our phones do we have a chromebook are we sharing a chromebook among you know three members of a family what's the internet access like at home all of those are questions that you know our teachers have had to face uh and then we're working you know we're, we're kind of watching what's happening but also trying to engage so one of the teachers that we work with in trenton her students have have TI-84 plus calculators, but not everybody has a charger because they charge them at school. So can we order chargers and send them home with the students? Trenton ordered um, a large purchase. They did a large purchasing of Chromebooks. Um, And right when this was happening, so some districts uh, that we work with, Lawrence public schools, they have a one-to-one Chromebook policy already. So all of those students already have Chromebooks, which is great. They might not all have Access to internet. So one of the things that the school district has done through its its foundation and finding resources in its budget is purchasing hotspots um, and helping students access the internet. It's been great to see a number of our internet providers um, offering free service for uh, two months. Is what the initial thing it was sixty days from a lot of folks. I think that that will be extended for um, folks doing internet essentials and other uh, similar. Um, access to connectivity, we're we're seeing that. Um, So there's that side, the technology and how we're we're teaching. Schools also provide all sorts of additional resources to to students, so counseling support, food, um, uh, place for community development and leadership and extracurriculars and sports. So we're trying to be creative in, in mitigating the impact of the current crisis by, by creating some re- regularity with those kinds of activities. But, but it's really challenging. I think we're seeing um, in some schools and districts that there's a certain percent of students that they're just not in touch with, despite all of these efforts, so that, that's really worrisome. But the students that are participating and engaging, that are checking in every day on Google Classroom and turning in assignments, I think, think that there is a level of um, continuity that, that's really great. Uh, The other thing I'll I'll just throw out is is something that we want to be thoughtful about is students with special needs. Um, Families that have students with special needs rely on schools for all sorts of, not just the daily interaction of school, but sometimes that extends throughout the summer. Um, Students with special needs are often in classes with uh, a number of support staff. And so to have to do all of that at home um, is a a significant impact on, on the families. Um, so what Princeton can do is, is a range of things. I mean, Princeton has been really um, focused on making sure that our community, um, our our student community, our staff, our faculty are safe, are well cared for, um, have the resources that they need in terms of hotspots and laptops and, um, textbooks and things like that. And I think we can start now that we're in a steady state, we only have a few weeks left of, of the semester. We can start thinking about turning that service locally, um, both in the Mercer County region, but also where our students are. And so what do you have at home that, that you may be able to donate to a community, to a community center, to a a youth serving organization. Maybe there's an old computer and instead of sending out to be recycled, maybe there's a way of resetting that computer so it can be used by by a family that doesn't have technology. What we've been doing with PUP is we have a, a, uh, a set of old Surface tablets that we don't use anymore. We transitioned to giving um, all of our scholars Chromebooks last year, but for folks that have three or four siblings in the home and they're all sharing the same piece of technology, we've distributed our old Surface tablets and our old Dell laptops to the community members to say, you know, we, they're, only, they're, they're not doing anything in our closets, so let's get them out in the world so that folks can use them. But even um, other resources that families might need for education, so old textbooks, for younger children, coloring books, pencils. um, Start a reading club on YouTube and read books and and put it out there to a teacher that you're available to to read, to do a reading hour. Um, Teachers are doing a lot of this work and and it's it's a lot for them to do. So, if they can have um some classroom aides that are remote and um willing to engage and um in a way that is strategic and meaningful and safe, um I think that that's also something that we could be doing.
0: I actually have a daughter who has special needs, and uh, we're in uh, hopewell township school district um and we have you know actually we just had an i e p meeting on i think it was monday um and we we were so effusive in our appreciation because we know the challenges of doing this stuff remotely because we're trying to do it ourselves in our own work and um you know we feel really appreciative of the support that we're getting but also see the real challenges of getting you know our daughter the support that she needs luckily we have in-home nursing so that really helps a lot because that it's the same nurse every day and she went to school with our daughter. So she's very familiar with all these things. Um, mm. and can kind of supplement. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, the, those, those challenges are real. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, I'm on, um, the urban ministry cabinet at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And I know one of the things that they are supporting are additional food, um, you know, for families of, that had kids that they were getting, you know, their breakfasts and lunches at school and now they're not. And so um, I know that a lot of people have done a lot of work to, to fill the gap there. Um, But it's an ongoing need because, you know, obviously the food gets eaten, so you have to replace it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we have to be thinking about how we sustain
1: those programs for the long haul right so you know to do something two weeks in an emergency is one thing to do it for two months is another and then we're thinking about summer so in in summer we might have you know a different configuration of, of where students are going on a daily basis but you know no one's going to be going to summer camp this summer because uh, particularly in the state of new jersey i don't think that we're going to have camps open and so how are we supporting everyone um, in these in this situations, our abnormal times, um, That that's going to be a, a real challenge. One of the things I was also thinking about prior to us getting on the phone today or on Zoom today was that, you know, also just a sense of being kind. Um, stay home and follow the rules, you know, when when your, your governor is giving some advice uh, and when the CDC is giving advice about uh, what's happening in your community, really taking a minute to think about, okay, what is happening in my community and how might um, I be helpful in this moment despite the challenges that I'm facing? So I'm facing my own challenges. Maybe I need to get out and get some fresh air and take a walk. Um, Okay, let's do that. How can we do that safely? Um, But there are other things that we we can, we're just gonna have to put off for a while until we get through this particular crisis.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of people making a lot of sacrifices. Um, and it's, it's both inspiring and challenging and, you know, infuriating at times too. And, you know, it's like, I think, I think it's an opportunity to practice, um, you know, community care and, um, have, have patience with each other, but also have appreciation. Yeah.
1: Evan, I'll share one of the things that we did with PUP. So we, we have throughout the academic year regular after-school sessions with our scholars. So our we have graduate students who serve as teaching fellows and they meet weekly with our students uh, at, the, at the local schools. And so of course, immediately we replace those sessions with Zoom meetings. So the expectation is, you know, we still have this time, it's still your pup time, and we're gonna continue with our academic work in this time. And we might create some space for everyone to Introduce your pets because your cat is going to walk through the screen or to, you know, make a CD cover of a song that you've decided represents how you're feeling during this stay at home time. Right. So we've, we've taken a little bit off of the the rigor, the academic rigor, not too much because the scholars actually enjoy the expectation and, and getting it. So they're having debates and they're writing papers and they're making speeches and they're engaging Um they're watching clips from YouTube, TED Talks, and, and uh, other kinds of media. We're, we're trying to figure out how to um, have our theater excursions just like we would during the school year because those, those were canceled. Uh, we, we would have gone to the opera today. Uh, this Wednesday, April 22nd. We were supposed to see a final dress rehearsal of Madame Butterfly at um, Opera Philadelphia. We decided that we're not going to do the opera. It's available on, you know, from the Met online. We could watch opera together on Zoom, but we did watch the musical Memphis um, together in kind of a Zoom meeting uh, shared experience. And as much as we can do that to sort of create. Some sense of that normalcy in this abnormal time is also important. So creating community, you know, it is about celebrating and preparing for, you know, we're preparing for college, we're we're celebrating the admission of our senior cohort and where they're going to college. We're also recognizing that this is a, this isn't an abnormal time, but we want to create some normalcy around it as well.
0: So uh, we, we like to end our interviews, Jason, with an opportunity for our guests to, to talk a little bit, maybe share a story or two about what's giving you hope right now. So I think for me the the creativity that I'm seeing from
1: my colleagues as we work through um, this moment, it really gives me hope. You know, we're, it, it's interesting to see how we've innovated as a team. So the PUP team, you know, we meet three days a week. Um, we're actually using FaceTime because we get zoomed out and it's just fun to use a different technology. Um, so my team is awesome. And we're, we're maintaining our recruitment process of, of ninth graders right now. That's all become a virtual pro- process. Instead of doing interviews, we've had students submit videos. We, we gave them a series of questions and uh, um, some directions how to upload a video. And so that that's really, I mean, the, the fact that students have been doing that gives me hope that they're still interested in in participating in our program and thinking about their educational future really gives me hope um so that that creativity and innovation um i I love you know i've always been a huge fan of the arts Uh, the arts are critically important to my my own life and and my wellness and how i engage with the world and we do a lot of arts enrichment with the princeton university preparatory program as well so we're in the summer going to art museums and during the school year, we're seeing theatrical performances, um, musicals, plays, opera. And so we're finding some stuff online and it is definitely not the same as being in the audience in person, but it is a way um, uh, to laugh and to cry and to enjoy and experience something that you wouldn't normally do. And so the more that we see, whether it's the Zoom conference, Concerts that are that are popping up uh, to raise money for folks, or the release of um, of recorded uh, Broadway productions or local productions of plays, um, we're trying to explore those as best we can, and so that is keeping me grounded and keeping me hopeful right now.
0: Jason, thank you so much for your time. This has been really uh, interesting. A little bit overwhelming I think you know just in terms of (laughs) education is such a huge topic obviously and there's there's so many different aspects to it but um I think we we really benefited from you know your expertise and knowledge and helping to break down the different pieces and and think about it comprehensively so thank you so much that's been my
1: pleasure thanks thanks for having me
0: You've been listening to Let's Talk About, a production of the Pace Center for Civic Engagement. This podcast is intended to be informational only and does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Pace Center for Civic Engagement.